Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an amazing guest. His name is Jason Peccio. He is a biomedical engineer all the way from Belgium. In this episode, we discuss what he learned in his time in Africa and why he is so passionate about giving people the opportunity to help themselves. Jason is an amazing individual, and I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I did. We had a lot of thought-provoking conversations, and I learned a great deal from him. I'm pretty excited about today's episode. We got Jason here, all the way from Europe. Good morning, Jason. How's it going? Morning, Zaid. Um, things are going very well. Sun's shining. Here it's 2 in the afternoon, so the day has well started and uh, is going to be great, especially talking to you today. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, for everyone who doesn't know you, do you mind uh, giving a little introduction about who you are and what you do? For sure. Um, so my name is Jason. I'm a Belgian biomedical engineer. Uh, I've worked in the medical device industry around Europe, from uh, Berlin, where it's uh, some AI for prosthesis design from MRI and CT scan, to Barcelona, where I did some European project development, but also uh, some AI for diagnosis in psychiatry, which is a very challenging topic. And then back in Belgium, uh, I worked on a variety of uh, medical devices from, again, AI, but to very much hardware tools, uh, such as uh, monitoring patches, uh, or even uh, hip prosthesis, or uh, biomolecular devices, such as PCR device for malaria. Uh, which led me to other adventures, uh, wanting to go deeper into diagnosing malaria in, in Africa, but we might have the time to discuss that later. Yeah, no, that's uh, amazing. And um, I would actually love to go into the Africa story if you don't mind going into it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, that's what kind of why I wanted to bring you on because you have kind of a really interesting background and I just think it's fascinating, the stuff that you've done. Thanks. Yeah, I, I'm... Um, so I studied as an engineer because I come from a, a family of, let's say, scientists. Uh, a big part of my family, my mother and sister are doctors. Uh, lots of uncles are engineers. My father's a physicist. And I fell a bit in the cracks between all of these people. Uh, but when I was done with my studies, I really, the question was, okay, more philosophical, which is what should I build uh, rather than just how should I build? which is the classical uh, answer that the, the, the engineer is providing is like, how should you build this? My big question was, what should I build? And that's also what led me uh, to stuff like going to Africa to work on diagnostic and also to, um, to medical engineering because, uh, well, the worst thing you could do if you work in biomedical engineering is save someone's life, which is not the same in uh, energy or in, I don't know, finance. Uh, so, so, yeah, that, that's what led to this wandering and possibly interesting uh, journey of mine. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting take of what to build versus how to build. I think, I mean, not being an engineer myself, it's interesting to kind of get into that mindset of engineers tell you how to build it rather than what to build. I never actually thought about that. Indeed, and that, that's a question that's, um, I'm, I'm really, uh, that is very frustrating for me uh, when you look at politicians because they ask scientists um, what they should do uh, because they have no more ideas uh, themselves. And you could see that during COVID and scientists are just like, we can give answers, but we can't give questions. Uh, you need to tell us where you want to go, but we can surely tell you whether it's possible or not. And what I see in politics uh, nowadays is that they have no ideas and they count on scientists to justify their lack of ideas, like it's not possible, or, but they don't listen when the scientists, the engineers are actually helping uh, by saying, well, your plan on climate change and carbon capture, for example, is ridiculous, or your zero carbon uh, company is ridiculous, it doesn't mean anything. And so that's really a fight that has been embedded as soon as I, in me, as soon as I finished my studies, like, what do we need to do rather than just how do we need to do it? It's a very important question, a very interesting one as well. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think that's, I mean, the, regarding science in the recent years, it's been kind of a mess, um, you know, being in the science community. And I think that what you say kind of resonates with me too. Is um, you know we can we have the answers, but we necessarily like the scientist community doesn't necessarily know how to get to it from like a engineering problem, right? We know like okay, if we do this, if we pull on this lever, this will happen. If we pull on that lever, this will happen. You know, we kind of have a general idea of what the answer is, how to get to that point. Not sorry, not how to get to that point, but we need a little help from like engineering and stuff in. And that goes back to like, kind of like working together, right? Like we need to all work together and put people in the spots where they will succeed. Indeed. For me, the, the, the healthcare system as a whole, as we're, we're both part of this healthcare system, um, people are still trying to fix it by uh, indeed saying, well, we need more technology here and there. And uh, we've been talking last time we, 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 we chatted about the importance of prevention. Uh, and uh, I really think that engineering technology etc science um, is not necessarily the right uh, tool at this stage what we need to do is as you say work all together to redesign the system and ask the right questions go in the right direction and then build the puzzle pieces the technical puzzle pieces that uh, will make this system work uh, but i feel that we're kind of at the end of the hallway uh, with the current system and we can build whatever new uh, technical tool uh, if the system doesn't change well there will be no place for these tools in the in the current uh, system yeah so that's that's interesting i think that so how would you like i, I mean i don't want to put you on spot and you may not even know the answer like how do you say how do you think would be the best way to approach that because um you know there is a lot of times where people are like oh we'll just throw this at it we'll just throw this technology at it we'll throw this technology at it i mean for me i mean i can kind of say i think we need a complete mind shift as to what is healthcare and um kind of bring back accountability i mean from the medical side like people like you know me and doctors and such you know we have a lot of accountability on our end right if the patient's not you know doing what they're supposed to be doing we get blamed for it but i think that there needs to be kind of a shift towards patient accountability as well, like make, making them accountable for their actions. And I'm not saying that we need to blame the patients, but I think that there needs to be kind of a little mindset shift into, hey, you are in control of your healthcare, 
we are here to be helpers. We're kind of guides. We're kind of guiding you through life in, in a healthy life. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. No, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think uh, patients need to be uh, more, I mean, they need to be given more responsibility but also entrusted with more uh, information. Um, one fight, so I, my mother is a cardiologist, and, and one, let's say, little fight that we had talking about prevention is that um, I told her that I don't believe that doctors are the right um, actors in prevention. Um, and why do I health prevention? Why do I think that is because if you compare a doctor to a sports coach, um, a personal trainer, uh, one of them you'll see as a scientist. You come with questions, they give you answer. That is a doctor. The other one is uh, you come with a challenge, not really a question, a challenge. And they help you achieve this challenge and guide you and convince you, keep you motivated. And a lot of uh, healthcare and prevention and being responsible is about that. And and I feel that doctors uh, need to, to lose some of this accountability, but also, and that's where sometimes they, they don't want to leave it. Um, it's some of this authority that the doctor is always the one who knows. And so far, it has been very doctor-centric. The doctor knows uh, and, and forces his opinion on the patient, on the nurse, and on lots of other people. I, I think that's also part of the paradigm shift that uh, needs to happen. I can only imagine your mother's response to that. But I mean, I think that's really interesting. Um, and I, I, don't, I can't say I don't disagree with you. And I think that uh, what is happening nowadays, at least in the United States, is you are seeing physicians, a kind of a more team-based approach, right? So you have everyone that's specialized in their area, and they kind of take care of that where the doctors, the diagnosis, uh, the pharmacist comes in, helps with the medications. Uh, a lot of, there's a big push for using physical therapy because, you know, studies have shown, um, you know, it can decrease pain, it can increase recovery faster. So, and, and I think that it's kind of happening slowly and it's just, it's just going to be a matter of time. You know, the more we're specializing, the more this kind of is happening, but um, it's an interesting thought. I mean, something that, you know, me and the medical professional, I think we go in with our own blinders and we don't really think about it that we may not be the best solution for the patient, even though that's what our school, that's what we're taught in school. No, no, I, I am not saying that doctors are not the best solution. I'm just saying, or healthcare practitioners are not the best solution. I'm just saying they are different problems. And if we're talking about the paradigm shift that is uh, focusing on, on putting more power in the patient's hands, making the patient more responsible, then uh, it's not the same problem as treating. If we go from treatment, from treating the disease to avoiding the disease, well, we change the problem. Um, and, and then maybe healthcare professionals are not the best solution for avoiding the problem. Um, but I do believe that there will soon be a, a, new, a new breed of healthcare professionals that are specialized on prevention. And, and that's also when we were talking about changing the system itself rather than finding new solution. That's also part of what I, I believe the system um, needs to change towards to. Currently, uh, thinking back to a, a post uh, uh, that uh, Preston Alexander shared a couple of days ago is the system, the whole business of healthcare is, I mean, hinged on 
actions that's like on acts medical acts like an echography is paid for an, an operation surgery is paid for a device is paid for but if you're in health well the the system is not paid for so if everybody was healthy well nobody would get paid um and and so the whole healthcare community is well facing a paradox there do you, you want to get people healthy but as soon as they're healthy they're no longer paying you so how i mean everybody whenever you talk to a healthcare uh, professional they're telling you that yeah they do their best so that their patients are in good health but if you go deep down there's a lack of alignment of the incentives there for it to properly work yeah no and i didn't mean it to say that you were saying that healthcare professionals are not the answer i was just saying in the sense that um, I, I agree with you in the sense that we can't solve every issue, right? But when it comes to healthcare, and the the uh, <laughs> that 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 dynamic of, and I think, and I do think that there is a misalignment with healthcare right now, and that's kind of preventing the prevention side of it. And just my own personal opinion, I think, like you mentioned, and what Preston mentioned in his post was, if we have healthy people, do we have a healthcare business, right? Maybe not. I mean, and. You know, are we really, is, is prevention really something that is being pushed by insurance companies and by hospitals? Like, I mean, that's a, that's a topic I struggle with. I don't have, I don't, I don't lean one way or the other. I kind of, I mean, being, I mean, again, I might be coming in my own personal blinders, being in the healthcare community. I feel like we are trying, but I do think that the system is working against us when it comes to that. Indeed. And, and talking about insurance is what I found very interesting in the US, is especially talking with Europeans. And I was asking some, I, I often ask some of my friends about what do you think uh, insurances in the US, uh, health insurances in the US are, are compelled to increase the price of their premiums or lower it? And actually, uh, or the cost of healthcare, actually. Well, insurances, and it's a very interesting and, and counterintuitive um, uh, well, fact, is that insurances, health insurances, are advantaged if healthcare costs are high. Because if healthcare costs are high, then people will be like, okay, I can't afford to be sick and not have you know, a, a net that will catch me. So I need to be insured. And if it, the cost were lower, you could self-insure uh, self yourself. Um, but, uh, but you can't because the, the costs are so high. And the insurance has the advantage of having many patients uh, and customers. Well, they have this critical mass that they have some bargaining power. So actually, insurances at US are not trying to lower the cost of healthcare, which to me is just crazy. Um, a business that is not trying to lower its cost is just unheard of, uh, in in my opinion. <laughs> that's uh, that's capitalism for you, baby. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm kind of saying that a little tongue in cheek, but um, it is what it is. And I mean, that's that's a whole other debate about insurance and healthcare and the right to healthcare. And that's a really long topic. And but I mean, I do want to I do want to pivot into social determinants of health because you I do we were talking and you had this amazing idea of empowering the people to take you know giving them how do I say this you were you were building something where you were empowering people to be able to take control of their own devices 
if they failed, you gave them opportunities to fix them. You know, like that's one of the issues right now with medical devices and digital health is if you have a device, it's, it's you know, it's close to the right to repair. Like you can't repair it. You have to go to the company. It costs a lot of money. There's a lot of logistical issues. If you live in rural areas or not first world countries, then you're kind of SOL, right? Um, you're kind of out of luck. So uh, I'd like to come touch and touch on that because I um, love your thoughts on that side of it as well. Um, indeed. So, so yeah, I've, I've got some some opinions on that. Um, not necessarily related to healthcare, um, but of course it it touched on that. It, it's more general industrial and economic um, topic or policy topic. Um, well, you you talked you talked about right to repair, and and for me it's a, it's an important thing, but it's it's really one step on the way. When you something breaks, um, you need not only to have the right to repair it, which means let's say an iPhone which has glue under the battery. If you remove the battery, the device is broken, so it's just like impossible to repair uh, after you do that. So, the right to repair legislation is simply preventing the active let's say, um, impediment to repairing something. But they're not doing anything to align the incentives. Um, and my whole idea there it is if we want to have like a healthy um, manufacturing uh, and, and productive world where things become a bit more sustainable, um, both financially and, and um, environmentally, um, well, when you buy, build something, you need to, it, it needs to become a, an advantage, a feature of the product that it's easy to repair, that it's easier to fix than to throw away. Um, and you were saying uh, that about, um, about some logistics issue uh, if you live far from, from some place. And, and currently, the difficulty is when you have something broken, let's say you have a missing screw that you need. How are you going to find that screw? And then you don't necessarily have the design, the schematics to actually uh, put it back in the right place. So there's lots of big questions. And, and what I find fascinating in that world is the, the development of the Fab Lab ecosystem. Uh, so Fab Lab stands for Fabrication Laboratory and is a place where you, you put lots of different um, digitally controlled, computer controlled machines such as 3D printers or uh, CNC's, so routers, um, laser cutters, etc, etc. Machines, the same way as a paper printer, um, those machines can, from a file, do the exact same job wherever on the planet, uh, which really transforms the way we, we consider manufacturing today, uh, where we have one machine that is uh, specialized on doing one job or that is calibrated in a very um, peculiar fashion that between every job or uh, that is producing massive amounts of pieces but cost a, an enormous amount of money, uh, such as everything related to plastic injection. Um, and here, the idea is really like, what if, a feature for a product, you would choose a product because you're like, okay, I know this will last for 20 years, 25 years. It will, not all the pieces, but the design itself, I can replace all the pieces in it. And, and we can then go back to this philosophical question about, um, I don't remember the name of the Greek philosopher who talked about it, but 
it's a it's a ship it's about a ship a wooden ship that uh, goes around the mediterranean and some pieces get broken one after the other but they are replaced all of them uh, one after the other and at the end of the day uh, the ship has been fully replaced all the parts of it have been replaced uh, the philosophical question is is it the same ship as before and for me this is the this this question of this industrial transformation there around fab labs and around the right to repair uh, etc is is going towards that is i'm buying this washing machine or this fridge because i know i will be forever be able to replace all the pieces and if you enable that also well you buy a fridge and let's say they have, there is a new feature they the company behind the fridge events a new motor a new pump a new uh, freezing system and so you can just buy that piece unplug a couple of the of bits in the, the your current fridge replace uh, it with the newer version so you minimize the amount of waste uh, but it's also uh, much easier to transport you know from a shop just a pump rather than a whole fridge much easier to work with uh, so you limit the waste of the whole city you create new jobs because people will be there to uh, repair locally rather than uh, in china etc so lots of very interesting things uh, along those lines and also as you were saying that the, the social uh, thing is well it becomes accessible available to to everyone and you also lower the cost of many things so i really think there's something massively um that would massively change your lives if if it come to to fruition yeah and that's the three printing side of things and it really gets me excited there was this one i think it was i was listening to a podcast where it was during covid and they were having ventilator like they were they were missing this like connector piece for ventilators and the company was really behind and they couldn't go go up to speed so what this um, hospital system did is the er physician just made a 3d printed connector and they just were able to use all the ventilators now again right and then the <laughs> the company apparently found out told uh, basically told them hey you can't do this uh but you know kind of it's going back to the point of what you just said like you know there was a problem and it uh, it, it if we were able to do that, you know, they were able to get all their ventilators up to speed again, but instead of waiting weeks to sometimes months, getting those in and patients dying. And, um, and this is kind of going back to the initial point you made, you know, how, we're, what versus how, like we, like as a medical professional, be like, Hey, this person needs to be on a ventilator. We have this thing missing. Oh my God, we can't put them on the ventilator. You know, then you have the engineer coming in like, well, you know, we're just missing this little piece. We could probably just make it on a 3d printer. Like that's something that wouldn't even cross my mind. And, you know, back to the point of collaborative thinking is, you know, you have different people with different skill sets. And I, I just found that story fascinating and kind of back to, you know, to your point, like it was empowering people and it was helping them take care of people. It was, it saved lives. Um, but, you know, the company said, hey, you can't do that. But they were also not providing the product as well. So yeah, on on so being a, a biomedical engineer, I understand both sides of the story quite quite vividly. So as as if I were uh, working in the hospital, for sure I would have uh, built the pieces. I, I just my microwave lost a button which I redesigned and three D printed uh, two days ago. Uh, so exactly the same issue. Um, now the the on the the, the arguments of the. Of the medical device company there uh, which wasn't providing the pieces is very 
I mean, is very clear based on the current regulation is, okay, so why can't you do it? So there is, of course, the business reason, but if what if we forget about that? Because, well, that's, you know, this, again, going into capitalism, why do we do things? How do we reward certain behavior? But let's forget about it. The, the real problem there is, okay, what if the ventilator fails? and the patient dies or the ventilator, there is some malfunction and the, the whole device is broken, um, who will be responsible for that? Um, and, and so I understand both sides of the story. Of course, you need to be able to repair it, but then do you lose the warranty? How is the, the company uh, that originally built the device and, and designed it uh, responsible there? And so it becomes a whole new question. Um, and currently, the only answer I would have is uh, building a trust, uh, both the company trusting uh, the, 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 their customers to build and rebuild properly, but also uh, the customer trusting the, the company, the designer, that they will remain there um, helping even though they, they are no longer um, held accountable for the, the round warranty. So, yeah, it's a fascinating topic on on a on a legal side of things as well. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, I I guess I never even thought about that, and that's why I love having conversations with different people from different areas because it really opens up my mind to a lot of things. And I think that um, I mean, you're absolutely right. That's probably the reason why. I mean, there's obviously some capital reasons. I mean, cap, cap money reasons, but I think a lot of it probably has to do with liability. Um like a lot of things in healthcare nowadays but you know you know like you mentioned before if the company built something from the ground up knowing that making it easy to repair making the parts available in the sense that hey these are the schematics you know you can pay i i think that people would pay a little extra knowing that they can fix certain things right so you can make your money a little bit on the front end you know, in, in this case, you know, if the if the company was like, hey, you know, this is we're sending sending you this stuff. These are the schematics, and this is the exact plastic you have to use. You know, giving them like parameters, right? Like this is the exact plastic. This is the you know we recommend these printers because they're the best. Then I think that you know we could create a system where something like that, you know, you could take some liability out of it, right? And then if the end user doesn't use that plastic, doesn't use like certain printers or whatever they can be like, all right, well, we gave you everything. We told you what to do and you didn't follow it. But then also with that, you know, they can also keep pushing the price. And, you know, there's a lot of things, but I think that at least it's a step in the right direction. Indeed, it's a, it's a step in the right direction. And, and actually, um, I completely agree with you. It, they, they should be able to charge more for this, uh, for this service of, of, of open sourcing the designs and making available to this designs of the parts and, and empowering um, the customer. Um, there was a, an interesting uh, story about, about that, this, this, this lack of um, sight in the future, you know, this opportunity cost of, uh, well, if I buy this and it's, uh, it's not repairable, I don't have access to the parts, etc. well, I lose the opportunity of repairing it and I increase my risk of if every, anything breaks down, uh, I will need to throw the whole device and buy 100, spend 100% of the cost uh, once again. In, in Africa, I discussed with quite a bit of uh, medical device uh, distributors, notably uh, one from Siemens working um, 
uh, between Belgium and, and, and Congo and Congo, Rwanda um, and Uganda. And what he told me was uh, that for many, uh, in many cases, uh, what happened in, in when they were selling CT scanners um, in that region of Africa, the problem was um, besides Rwanda, they were buying the machine but because the cost of maintenance of the you know the subscription to the maintenance services was so high they were not doing it um they were not paying for that and the problem is well the device broke down and then they're stuck with something that doesn't work um and so i think it's partly a lack of oversight on the the african authorities there but also a lack of budget and from on Siemens part, well, if they make so much money on the maintenance, why would they make the device repairable? Um, and so there, from this story, I was like, okay, so this whole system is a bit, everyone is saying that the others are just lacking, um, you know, vision into the future, but they all having their own reasons for not, uh, for not uh, making, solving this, this problem. Um, and I find that's very, very interesting and, 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 and very you know, like also toxic. Um, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to go to Africa, because I really believe this um, industrial change of paradigm, um, this, this new industrial revolution um, could really well start from Africa. Uh, because what you were saying about um, 3D printing and those ventilators, um, this localized manufacturing a digital manufacturing is solving different issues first of all the the price per piece is much more expensive when you do it you know one by one rather than like one million by one million produced in china and then sent to wherever on earth um and and that's might be seen as a problem but the, the things that you get from producing it locally is um well you get it directly there's no logistics, so you're much more, you, you win sovereignty, uh, you gain on delays uh, often, especially if you're in a, a logistics situation such as many places in Africa, and you get control. So when, you, when there's a piece that breaks down, you can also repair it. And so I really feel that there's something massive that could uh, be done starting in Africa because the challenges they are facing may very well be an opportunity to um, to be the first one to benefit from this. The same way, I don't know if you know Zipline, company delivering uh, blood bags uh, by by drones, uh, started in in Rwanda um, because it was solving a much pressing, much more pressing issue in Rwanda than what they could have done in the U.S. Um, and now that they demonstrated it in, in, in Rwanda, they're moving back um, to the US and, and also across scaling across Africa. So a very, very interesting that's you know, like the underdog could become the, the leader because of the challenges that they're facing. I mean, this is I mean, this is kind of like a tangent, but it, it'll, it'll kind of go back to what your point is. You know, like I like photography a lot and they say a lot of good, great photographers are like, you know, to be a better photographer, you need to handicap yourself, right? Um, you need to use a really bad camera. Don't 
try not to edit things in post, try to make it perfect in the camera, you know, use cameras that don't have anything, you know, point and shoots, use film, whatever. And the point is, the more you don't have, the more ingenuity, like the more you think about it, the more ingenuitive you get, right? You, You start, you know, walking around looking at different angles you try to solve the problem from a different way because the the problem isn't solved for you out of the box and and i think that you know i think i mean i love that what you said about so the problem with healthcare and like digital health and all these things is for me i struggle with it because i really think that it can solve a lot of issues but also it's like every new technology the rich keep getting richer and there's like what i'm afraid is the people that can't afford it will keep getting healthier and the people that can't afford it will be left behind. And that's why I like this concept of, you know, just in time, whatever you want to call it, you know, sovereign manufacturing, whatever is really fascinating to me because especially from the device side, because there's a lot, you know, hospital at home is being pushed. Um, our remote, remote patient monitoring is being pushed. These are all being pushed and they're on the back of devices. These devices aren't cheap. Right. And, some of these people, the people that sometimes need it the most don't have the capital to keep buying new devices or, you know, upgrading to the newest model. And, you know, and even it, it, it's a good intention, right? But if if we are able to create an, an economy or some sort of system where these patients, you know, can go to their local library and print off a part or have a friend or, you know, just... Like you said, they might have to pay a little bit more for that part, but they don't have to wait. They don't have to buy a whole new device. So I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with it, but I mean, I like the idea. It makes me really excited because of where digital health and all this is going. It's going, you know, it's, there's a lot of devices that are coming out now. Yeah, well, well I'm indeed, I'm, I'm not so, I'm, I'm very big believer in this, let's say, socialist ideal of um, creating more of the commons. Uh, so that uh, everybody can benefit from more of what society as a whole has built, um, and so, so quite quite uh, surprisingly, what what I'm describing is also uh, what you've been describing, like by building building pieces that you can upgrade, etc. Is uh, to me is a bit going backwards uh, in the right direction. Um, so, for example, my grandparents uh, were. I mean, they bought furniture, uh, wardrobes and stuff um, that my parents, I mean, not inherited, but that my grandparents gifted to my parents. Uh, my great-great-grandparents had some uh, furniture, pieces of furniture that they gave to their children and, that, um, and some of them are still in my family now. Um, but now, what would I give to my children? Um, Sounds like, a, 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 again, a, a parabola, but actually, what would I give to my children? Because the, the furniture I bought myself are like IKEA. There's no way to improve it. There's no way to keep it because it's such low quality that it will go to waste. And to, to combine a bit all of these things is what I love about this idea of upgrading the device is, uh, first of all, you, 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 you keep it, um, you keep its relevance and what you were saying about making it a bit more expensive or actually that people have to pay a bit more money to get it. Uh, but also, uh, if we remain in a, in a capitalistic system, which to be honest, is not functioning so bad on, on, on quite, quite some account. Um, well, they're actually building capital if they buy something that is not uh, getting destroyed at the next generation. 
and they're buying, they're building this capital at a scale small enough uh, that you don't need anymore to have like $1 million to buy a house and build this capital. You can just buy a small thing um, like a 3D printer that, well, that you can transmit to your children because it remains relevant for a long time. Um, or a fridge or a road robe, I, I don't know. Something that's worth a couple of hundred bucks that's because uh, it stays relevant and can be upgraded, etc., is the start of your capital. Now, coming back to digital health, I see um, so many things that could be improved and, and balance the state of things between wealthy and, and, and poor people. But often, um, I haven't found many in digital health um, specifically. Where I see it in software in general is um, is in open source only. Um, and <laughs> I'm really against um, or biased against uh, many, many of those um, blockchain or Web3 uh, projects that are pretending to give back the power because you know that if there's a token of ownership somewhere, well, someone owns the majority of it. And if you participate to that system, you enrich the person that owns most of it. Um, and uh, with open source on the other side, uh, the, all the business models associated with open source projects are mostly you get so much of the stuff for free, but if you want services, uh, then you pay. And, um, and so these things that you get for free are raising the bar for everyone. And I do believe that uh, what we're talking about in, in manufacturing uh, applied to healthcare is raising the bar for everyone and, and, um, and lowering inequalities just because if the bar is higher, well, we don't really care how high uh, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos are with uh, reprinting organs uh, to stay alive until they're 200 years old. Uh, if everyone is at least in much better health uh, than they were. Uh, and, and that's also something that I find quite uh, interesting in healthcare is if you compare ourselves, like the poorest, uh, some of the poorest of our society today in the 21st century with uh, the King of France in the 1600s or 1700s. Um, well, anyone today is probably in better health than that guy was. And he was the richest person. Uh, in the in the whole of France, um, and gather, that gives me some perspective. Um, so, in some some sense, we're richer thanks to our knowledge of healthcare than uh, the richest people um, that were there in, in a couple of year, uh, a couple of hundreds years ago. Yeah, I mean, you kind of pulled at my heartstrings a little bit there. I I love open source. Um, I think the open source community a, is amazing. You know, I've been part of the open source community for a while. You know, I've used Linux as my primary laptop, I mean, computer for all throughout school, mainly because I couldn't afford a laptop at the time. Um, so I was like, hey, I just grabbed an old laptop and was able to get a fully functioning operating system. It got me through college. It got me through um, pharmacy school. I mean, I mean, I'm not, it's not a sob story, but it's kind of, I mean, I, I probably could have bought a laptop. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, but I just didn't want to. I just, I had other, you know, it's an opportunity cross. Like, you know, am I going to buy a new laptop that's going to die in two years or can I just keep an old one running? And I'd read, I wanted to keep an old one running, but it got me through school, right? It, it empowered me to get the job I got. Um, it opened a lot of doors for me. It made me more ingenuitive. Like I was able to solve different problems. It was awesome. Like I, and, and, you know, and I think that, I think 
I want to have a conversation with people in terms of like, I think open source and healthcare go hand in hand to your point, right? Like, I think that there is an opportunity with open. Let me back this up a little bit. I think the thing that that makes people not like open source is because you can't make money off of it. And I think that that is a that is a thought process that require that doesn't have a lot of you're not thinking outside the box, right? Like you, what you said, you know, you can have an open source product, you can give it to people, but to get the most polished experience, they need to come to you to get that that polished experience, right? And that's what I think the, that mind shift, that mind shift around open source needs to change is like, hey, we need to create a polished enough thing that's better than the open source product because in my experience, people will pay for a good experience, right? Even if they don't want to pay for like the bigger thing, they want to go through the open source community. Um, even if they're in the open source, they will pay for the better experience. And the other thing about open source, as you know, it's much more secure because the code is out there. Everyone can see it. You can't, you know, there's not, it's not hidden in the background and people just break into it. So I think like open source and healthcare are like a match made in heaven, but in my mind, right. I'm kind of, you know, I love open source. So maybe like, again, my, my views are a little skewed, but I do think that there is a opportunity to make money in the open source community and still help people. So first, first, um, so 100% agree with you on, on many accounts there. Uh, first, quick quick um uh, correction i'm much more a fan of um a supporter of uh, free software rather than uh, open source um don't know if you know the difference but it it it's a significant one do you know the difference between free software and open source? yeah so yeah there's yeah. a huge difference between free software and open source i mean for, for i mean i can say what i my understanding is open source is when let's say I create a code, I create a software, I put it, I put the code out there, be like, hey, this is everything. You can build off of it. You can create your own software off of my code. Kind of like what um, Google did with Chrome, right? There's a bunch of different Chrome browsers. They they made it open source. They, anyone can use it. Versus free software is, from my understanding, is you create something, you still have proprietary ownership of it, but you're giving it away for free because you know you just think it's the right thing to do, or you know you. I mean, I don't know. Is that is that correct? So actually, it's the it's it's kind of the opposite. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's free. So when we say free software, it's free as in freedom. Uh, it's not free as in uh, free of charge. Um, so and and free software. If you look at free software foundation, the foundation of uh, open source comes from free software, uh, from Richard Stallman at MIT, and then followed by uh, Linus Torvalds in in um, in uh, Finland, was it? Um, and the creation of Linux and so on. Uh, and, and open source was actually uh, a compromise that uh, some corporation did. And so when you say open source, it literally is what it says. You open the source files. You show the designs. But you're not giving the rights associated with it. Um, so that could be, for example, um, you give away... Uh, you show the code, but you say nobody can use that code. It's mine. Every time you use it, you infringe of the li on the license that I gave you. So free software is really about what rights you give away. And if you give away the rights, then it's free software. If you don't, you just share, you know, like the code as a, a static thing that you can't really use, profit from, modify, etc. Then that could be open source. Just like you can understand it. Uh, but you can't use it because it's mine, and, uh, and it has a massive 
implication, massive implications on, on many, many things. Honestly, I did not know that. So, yeah, no, thank you for that. I mean, I think I knew, like, you know, like when you use Linux, they like to have the, I forgot what it's called, like the GNU license, which allows you to use the open source uh, for your own, for your own, like whatever you want to do with it, right? Um, but yeah, no, thanks for making that clarification because I had zero idea. So, no, man, thanks a lot. And associated with that, there's another very interesting thing, which is called the copyleft. Um, so you, you, we know, we all know what copyright is, is you have rights on any copy yet that you do. And then the copy left stuff is something from the free software world, from this, you know, um, open licenses, license giving away uh, most rights. And it says that, okay, you have all the rights to use, modify, change, distribute, sell, whatever with this software. But there's one thing that you have to do. Um, in counterpart is you can't if you you do anything with it you cannot like you modify it for example you cannot not publish it under the same license you need to give away the rights again and that is what is fascinating in this this um, world of sharing uh, is that's what that it's eating the world what's what uh, Bill Gates said uh, in the 1990s as free software is cancer. And indeed it is, because when it touches something and somebody uses something from this free software, copyleft um, uh, portfolio of, of projects, well, whatever is made with it becomes copyleft and is also licensed under like giving away all the rights about it. And that is very, very interesting because it's enforcing sharing. It's forced sharing. You cannot, if you want to work with the best tools that are open source, you cannot uh, prevent others uh, from using what you're building and complementing uh, in these tools. And that is very fascinating. But coming back to your point, maybe on the, the place of open source for, for healthcare, um, well, it's it's going. It's tying back the whole all the subjects that we we covered uh, today because the problem in healthcare is control. Everything is heavily regulated, and that's mostly because uh, we gave all the authority to the doctor, and so we're just saying, well, all the liability lies where the authority lies, and the patient is not responsible. So, well. We're not, we're not giving away, we're regulating it. It needs to be checked by a doctor. But then now we're saying, well, we want to give uh, more responsibility, more ownership to the, the patient about their own health. And nothing in the medical world or in the corporate world so far has been done and on those lines, like profoundly. Yes, on the surface, yes, but profoundly. The healthcare data is still owned by uh, corporations or hospitals or doctors, they're not owned by the patient. Um, and the whole open source stuff is that you are owning your own stuff and responsible and capable of doing whatever you want with this. Uh, we, we had chatted uh, last time about uh, my belief that in, in a couple of decades, we'll have all of us some sort of 
a little server at home where you host all of your data that is data from your pictures when you went on a trip or social media information all your emails everything is at home and it's very very convenient but it also covers all your your healthcare data and so you you would have the capability to do whatever you want unplugging them sharing them um, and just deleting them if you just say like, well, I don't want, I don't want any of it. Um, and you would have the server the same way you have currently like a fridge, a toilet. Uh, it would be part of, you know, the basic home infrastructure. And I think that will, yeah, that in this case, like this will also be part of this paradigm shift in healthcare. Uh, empowering the user is also giving them the power to know what they're suffering from. What is fascinating to me and, and really troubling at the same time is uh, when I hear a friend saying like, yeah, I have this shoulder pain. And I, I told him, like, man, have you seen a doctor for this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've been there. Um, so I ask him, well, what do you suffer from? And he says, well, I don't know. I've forgotten. And I'm like, why did you go to the doctor if, you, if the result is that you don't know what you're suffering from? You don't really know, you forgot what you have to do. Why is this data not yours, that you own it somewhere, that this report from the doctor is yours, you paid for it. Why is it stored at the doctor's? Why is it stored at the hospital? Why don't you have the number one copy? And uh, indeed, in this case, I really believe open source will be able to help in, in, in creating this infrastructure for everyone. Man. Um... I love that idea. I think that that was what I was trying to build. I don't know. I don't know what it is now. Eight years ago, I was trying to build something where patients control their own healthcare data. And I mean, there are, I mean, for me, it's, that's what we want, need to go towards because I think that, you know, that creates accountability that creates, I think that the access to information is one of the most powerful things that a person can have, you know, coming, you know, having studied for so <laughs> majority of my life, you know, I only got here because I had access to the information. I don't, I wouldn't be here without that. And it also empowers them. It also gets some, you know, makes them accountable for what they are doing. Right. And then, I mean, but on the other side, you know, people be like, people, I mean, I've heard this like, Oh, what if, you know, they delete some stuff, they do this. And I'm like, have you ever interviewed a patient that doesn't want to tell you the truth? Like, they're not going to tell you the truth, but like, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, if they're, if their hospital was in, you know, if their hospital is 3000 miles away, we're not getting that information in the ER. Like they're not, we're not getting it. So we're going based on what they tell us. So it's really not too much different than what it is now. Like, I mean, if my thing is the older I get, the more I, I'm, I, I'm coming to this point where like, Hey, I'm going to help you as much as you want to help yourself. You know, I will go out of my way. If you want to help yourself, I will do anything that is humanly possible to, to help you. But if you are going to put roadblocks in front of me and keep stopping me from helping you, then you've tightened my, you at that point you've tied my hands and I, and this might sound a little crass and I don't mean it to, but there are other people that need my help and are willing to do that. And I'm going to go towards them. I mean, going back to the point of making money, what do you think in the system? Like how, I mean, this would be the first, number one thing that people ask, right? Well, we can create all this stuff. We have all this manpower behind it, but how will we make the money? Like, what is your answer to that? Well, in healthcare, um, what we see, what I see very interesting, that is very interesting, is that um, you have really two different, two different approach between Europe and the US. Um, and your question is, 
really about a system change, a paradigm change at the systemic level. And so there's two ways of saying this. Like, okay, well, as in the US, you have you can count on individuals uh, to look for a better solution, but most of them have no money, and then they all work individually. So it's very difficult. It's a it's a marketing job to collect all of the resources of individuals. Why am I saying? individuals, patients, uh, because indeed currently the, the system is about, uh, the whole healthcare system is about sickness and treatment rather than prevention and, and taking, taking, you know, ownership of your own health. And prevention and ownership for me are the same things, like take your treatment to avoid relapse, um, do some sport before you get sick because that's how you're, you're responsible about it. Um, do, the, do the right thing um, when, you, when you are informed about it. Um, so how to make money in a new system? Well, it's a bit the same as the, the open source way. Um, actually, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm, um, well, I'm, I'm making... I'm an engineer, so I, I make enough money to, to afford a couple of things, but I hate uh, administration. So I hate for having to remember to book appointments, etc., uh, organizing stuff like papers at home. Ah, like, oh, this is a pain. And I've realized that, um, well, if I had someone that could help me just organize all of this, uh, for healthcare, for my healthcare stuff, um, that would be fantastic. Like, you know, like sending the insurance claim, telling me how I can optimize it. Um, but that doesn't, nobody is organizing. That was what I was posting on LinkedIn a couple of days ago. Like just having someone to help you, you know, like personal health assistant, the same way you have um, a personal assistant, like a secretary, or you have like an accountant would be for me fantastic. And it will start this paradigm shift because I'm taking ownership, no longer counting on the secretary hospital to remind me of going to my appointment. It's someone that I pay uh, directly for the service of this organization. Uh, the other thing is uh, I wanted to pay for, uh, to go to um, like a, a kine or a physiotherapist or something or a nutritionist just to know in what direction should I go uh, proactively. That means that would not necessarily be reimbursed in Belgium. And, and, and to be honest, in Belgium, one very hard, big challenge is that you will not get like rich people or poor people. It's extremely hard to get people to pay for healthcare if it's not reimbursed. And in this case, I was ready and talking with other people, uh, they were ready to also pay for stuff like someone managing um, all their health concerns or agenda, schedule, uh, calendar, um, proactively. And I really think that there's a business there in this proactive healthcare, um, helping people take care of their proactive healthcare measures. Uh, the same way when uh, you, you, you take a, a sports coach uh, is also part of that. Well, I really believe there might be a business there about um, an about the business, uh, if you look at the US, like individuals wanted to take control of it. And we, we start to see it with uh, healthcare prevention centers. Uh, one of the shareholders of the company I'm, I'm doing, I'm working, is doing uh, specifically that, uh, but for executive level people. At, just at the policy or the political level, 
um, I, I believe uh, there's what we could also do um, is because anyway, it's the state that pays for most things. Uh, so we pay for it through all taxes is um, offer for free, um, let's say, education courses um, around healthcare. So how do would we make money? Well, we're just like informed about what we could do and informed which um, healthcare practitioners we could go see. And the same way now most people go, uh, well, not most, but a lot of people go to the psychologist uh, or see a therapist. Um, well, that's not so well reimbursed, is it? Uh, but that is proactive healthcare. You go see a psychologist, a therapist, instead of, of just like going into mental breakdown and going into burnout. Um, and so I, I, I do really think that by... There is a way of just like servicing, like prevent, doing preventive maintenance in healthcare. The, the same way as uh, the, we move to preventive maintenance, which is uh, what I'm going for, rather than just like uh, operations, like surgery uh, or treatment, which is uh, what is happening now. And it was the same in, in the industry and uh, the, the movement with uh, IoT to do preventive maintenance rather than uh, send the car, uh, replace the car or send it to the mechanic when it breaks down because it costs less to just do, ma do the maintenance. And so that's the, the way I would see for... Um, for business and tying it up with open source, it's again services. Um, and so it, it aligns perfectly. That's the, the reason that I take. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, I think the other thing with healthcare, and I think that this is the thing that's the most challenging with things like what you're mentioning, with prevention and stuff. A, um, again, I think, <laughs> I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but Patients don't come to you until it's absolutely necessary, at least in America. And I think that a lot has to do with, you know, the cost of healthcare, and, you know, some people can't afford it. And that's some. There's a lot of people that can't afford it, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. And I think that to have that model that you said, said, you know, that you presented to work, I think there needs to be not only just a mind shift, but also a economic shift where... I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how we would fix it. Like either you subsidize, you know, basically what is insurance, right? You're a subsidized, healthy people are subsidizing um, unhealthy people, right? Um, I don't know if we subsidize those kind of preventative things. Another thing is access. And that's where I think digital health comes into play is providing access easily, not just access, right? You know, you, there's a difference between providing access and then also providing easy access. So, I mean, you can have a clinic in the middle of, a, you know, someplace that doesn't have a lot of healthcare providers, but if it's only open from 8 a.m. to noon, are you truly providing access to that community? No, you're really not. So I think that, I mean, again, I don't know. I don't want to keep rambling on, but I love that idea. And I think that's an idea that needs to happen um, because I think that that will lead to better outcomes for everyone. But I think we also have to think about how do we reach the people that need it the most? Um, and those are the ones... I feel like sometimes get forgotten. Not, I'm not saying you're forgetting them or anything like that, but like when things are, it's it's just a general thing with technology, right? When new technology comes out, usually it's adopted by the super rich and people that have some disposable income. And then from there, then you have an economy of scale that makes it cheaper and cheaper, cheap enough 
for people that may not be able to afford it where they can't afford it to that point? Yeah, the my problem with digital health, um, and, and that's something I tell quite a lot of entrepreneurs that I meet uh, through my work, is um, that, that working in digital health is digital health is only, I mean, digital as a whole is only or mostly about information. Um, so you can, you can diagnose, you can process information, give a diagnostic or give uh, like give some, some advice on when, which direction to go. You can share information to educate, share knowledge to educate. Um, you can put people in contact with each other through teleconsultation, etc. But at the end of the day, you're not doing any action. Um, and so digital health, as you were saying, yeah, digital health makes access, um, make things more accessible and so it's always it's already better but what do you do when you have a, a diagnostic for an uncurable disease would you really want to know it's it's tough um well you can accept something uh not necessarily knowing what it is uh for for example um i was sick uh two or three weeks ago like fever standard flu uh, symptoms and i was sick and some of my friends asked me like what do you have hinting at do you have covid and i was like well i'm sick i have fever i have a sore throat uh i have headaches who cares i don't, i really don't care about if i have covid the flu or, or or just a cold because at the end of the day, the treatment is the same. I stay in my bed, I eat, uh, I, uh, I, I eat uh, reasonably well, and I drink a lot, and I rest. So there, the information is not really useful. And for quite some project in digital health, that really is what it's doing. It's not necessarily providing solutions. It's mostly providing information. And... and there is something where I want things to go a bit further. It's like, okay, we need to, to find a way to make accessible, democratize the access to, to this treatment to all those people who can't uh, benefit from it uh, right now. Not only giving them the information, which is, hey, you should do this, but you know, it's still inaccessible to you. Frustrates me, would frustrate me even more. Yeah, and I think that you bring up a good point. I think that's where that's my biggest thing with digital health is I think that you cannot ever replace the human being or I mean I, I you know like there's this solution sometimes and and I'll, I'll always be like, well, you know, um a surgery can't be done over the phone, you know. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're sick and you need to go to the emergency room, you can't, you know, I can't give you blood through an internet connection, right? So there's certain things that need to be, there's a lot of things that need to be done. And I think that where I, the, the things about digital health that I find that excite me are the ones that are taking care of the administrative tasks or they're um, augmenting my, my abilities, right? They're, they're able to either take care of the things that are really black and white and really honestly don't need people like me to kind of look at, right? Because they're pretty simple, kind of, you know, and or and then so that way I can take care of the people that really need my time and effort and I'm not running around triple book being like, oh, man, I'm like half an hour late to this appointment. I'm, you know, 45 minutes late to this appointment. So that's a, that's a, that's the stuff in digital health that I really get excited about. I don't really get excited about. OK, fine. 
you okay let, we'll diagnose you with this great we we got you but you know to your point you got the diagnosis now what you know you don't have a hospital within three three hours of you okay you have the diagnosis they're telling you to go to the hospital now it's going to take you three hours at minimum to get to that hospital um are you even going to make it to that hospital i mean and at that point you're like ah, do i really want to go and then have you really fixed the problem uh, in my opinion no you really haven't fixed the problem because you still haven't, you've given them access to the information, like you mentioned, but you haven't given them access to the treatment. And I think that's the part, that the, that's the next jump that people need to make, especially these entrepreneurs, is like, okay, we're giving them access to information, but how do we increase access to the treatment? Indeed, precisely. You, you, you're right on point. Um, yeah, not, not really much to add there. Uh, for me, for me, it's it, it's exactly that, and I see this quite some projects um, indeed that are very interesting by the simple fact that, as you were saying, that they they can you can do this triage and avoid people going to the hospitals. Tell some people, hey, you really should go uh, urgently, and telling others, like, you you shouldn't go. It's 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 um it's not important, uh, and and you will just um be 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 more trouble for the for the hospital personnel if if you take care of the if you go uh, to the hospital rather than not going but going back to uh, your point about making the or discussion about making the treatment available that's where our digital manufacturing to me becomes uh becomes again a major player because treatment is often about hardware it being drugs or it being uh, so biologics or being about devices and if you make if you see the, the advance of uh, bio bio labs um, biohackers alongside fab labs um, one project i didn't tell you about um, is that while i was in africa i realized that um, they were so i knew i wanted to fix diagnostics and then my first um my first objective was to look at it uh, from the microscopy perspective, which is a very versatile tool. But then afterwards, I was like, well, with, I was working on, on building PCR device bike in Belgium. What if I were to do local manufacturing of PCR reagents? I mean, it's building enzymes, not that hard. I mean, it's not easy, but it's not that hard either. It's feasible and um, not necessarily at the concentration level and, and, and efficacy level that uh, big labs are requiring for it to be functional really doable at a, a, a local local stage local level and once we do that well okay well we built uh, the diagnostic is very efficient diagnostics uh, which is much better than the antigen they're using currently and we can start building these things locally well, if we start doing uh, bacteria production of enzymes, why not start doing it for insulin? Um, and the, the thing is, when you start there, actually, by do, producing locally, you also solve other stuff, which is um, some proteins become unsta I mean, are unstable long term if they're not like in a super purified environment. But if you make them local, you make them locally you don't have this problem of long-term conservation because you produce it and it's just next to the patient. 
And so you could imagine, and that would be, wow, imagine if, if you let me dream, then I will dream. It's like you can produce the drugs locally, combine them, and just, even if they're not um, stable, perfectly stable, you just produce them and, and take them, give them to the patient right on the spot. And nobody depends on anybody on earth besides for knowledge sharing. Um, and because of this, we're all sovereign. Uh, so we all free. We don't have anything to envy to other people. And that's, and there goes also all the reasons for war. Um, why would you go to someone else to take something if you have everything at home? Um, and, um, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, dream away, dude. I like, I, I love, uh, <laughs> I love dreaming. I love that idea. And I mean, I could go on this topic forever and, um, I know we're, we're, we're pretty, uh, pretty far past, uh, what your commitment was. So I thank you very much for your time. I'm definitely, we're definitely going to have to continue this conversation moving forward, but where can people find you and, um, you know, just anything you want to plug, like your companies, whatever, where can people reach out to you if they have any questions? Well, um, I'd say the easiest currently would be, uh, on, on, on LinkedIn. Um, so w what we do at my company is, uh, we're a startup studio specialized in digital health. Um, but I, I, I do occasionally a bit of work uh, besides that. So the easiest is uh, finding me on LinkedIn. So my last name is Petio, uh, but I guess you'll, you'll, you'll link it uh, with, um, with the episode. And I'll, I'll spin out my, my website uh, probably end of the month, beginning of last, next month. But I'll, I will make sure um, to ping you when, when that is done. Perfect, man. Yeah, no, I'll have everything in the, um, in the show notes below. And yeah, man, thank you so much for your time. Um, I knew this was going to be a thought-provoking episode and it's definitely delivered so thank you so much it, it was super interesting uh thank you for uh inviting me to uh to to have this discussion together i i really appreciate having them uh so it's always uh very interesting to to talk to like-minded individuals and uh yeah to dream away uh, to the future uh to uh to a better tomorrow I love it, man. Uh, let's do it, man. Together, I think we can solve a lot of problems. And again, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. 